Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. Welcome the person next to you. Say welcome this evening. It's good to see you. Before we begin, I just want to um, share with you, I shared last night a little bit about our Trusting God um, group meeting on Thursday evenings. Um, it is my hope to provide a little bit of support and nurture in, in your relationship with, with our God. And we meet Thursday evenings in the Fireside Room, and that is in the Williamson Building. So... Come Thursday evenings at 5.05, okay? We're here to trust in the Lord with all our hearts, amen? Amen. And our speaker for this evening is Dr. Jay Ott, and he is the vice president for, okay, let's welcome him. He's our vice president for marketing and recruiting. recruiting. So let us stand together as we sing. We serve a God who is a God who saves, Amen. You may be seated. Last night we had uh, prayer together with uh, Jim uh, for his son. And Jim has uh, a report to give us. Would you come on up? Go ahead and use this one, yeah. First of all, let me uh, thank everybody everybody that's associated with this Holy Mountains Hill, this campus, uh, student body, everyone a part of here that came up last night when Dr. Matson called me up to the altar first to sit down and kneel, pray for my son. And then he asked all of y'all to come up and lay hands and pray behind me, with me, for him, not so much for me, but for my son. 12.30 today, he got on the computer and I managed to start talking to him, finding out that first of all, my fear of him being alive or I should say dead, is relieved that he is alive, he was well, and I convinced him to come on home. So uh, whatever went through his mind to uh, go and spend two nights out in the cold concrete and sleeping under a bench or whatever, I don't know. But the bottom line is he's home, he's safe, and it is a tribute to everyone here, everyone that's associated with my prayer group on Facebook that's part of my personal ministry, and other prayer lines and professors and teachers and students, friends, family, whatever that's put him on prayer lines beyond that. The power of prayer works indeed. And this was a bigger lesson for myself. Uh, it's not up there, but our, our chapel theme about trust. Let me tell you, I've backslid a lot in my life and trust can get eroded with a little thing like this that happened for nearly 48 hours when a son or somebody went away with no knowledge of what happened, no note, very odd things left in the household and very little clues. It can really, really make you do this. But as of a year ago when I struggled through the college here as to whether I should be here or not, and the trusts and the temptations to leave, even still yet to even this term, not so much now as last year, I know I'm right where God wanted me from the start. He Amen. opened the door, I'm here, and uh, once again, I got to thank all of you that have been in prayer for my son, and uh, he's alive and well, so Amen. praise to God. Thank you, Dr. We want to uh, 
as we lifted a prayer request uh, for Jim last night, we want to live a, lift a praise with him. And so, Jim, I'm going to ask you to kneel at our altar again and have the church body come around you, and we will just praise the Lord. Uh, not only that uh, James is now home, uh, but praise the Lord because God is working in this young man's life. He has a plan and a purpose for James, and uh, he is working to see that plan fulfilled. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you that you are the God of prevenient grace who sends your Holy Spirit into the world to pursue us, to seek after us, and to call us home. Lord, we don't know where James was over this time. We don't know what he experienced, Lord. We don't know what was in his heart that led him uh, to take these actions. But Lord, we, we are praising you and thanking you tonight because wherever he went, you were with him. You watched over him. You heard the prayers of your people. You touched his heart. You brought about a change and you led him home. And Lord, as you have brought him home physically, we pray together and lift him up and we ask Lord, that you will bring him home spiritually. May he make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of his life. And Lord, we thank you for giving us this living testimony that we can trust you. You are still faithful. You are still powerful. You still move in our world and in our lives. And we give you all the praise and all the thanks for that. In Christ's name, amen. I'm here tonight to uh, ask you one of the most important questions that you can answer in your life. As a matter of fact, if, if the roof of Strickland Chapel were to be peeled back and the heavens be opened and God himself would appear and stand behind this pulpit, I am confident that this is the question that would be uppermost on his mind that he would want to ask each and every one of us tonight. Some of you think you know what that question is. You might be surprised. As I read the scriptures, I am confident that this is the very question that is on the heart of God this moment. And the question is, how is your investment portfolio? That's right. 
What shape is your investment portfolio in? God is dying to know the answer to that question. Now, before too many of you think that I've totally lost my mind and you walk out of the chapel, let me show you the biblical evidence for this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Familiar passage. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's take a little bit of time to look more closely at this text. First of all, we have a man. We know that this man 
refers to Jesus himself. This man is preparing for a long journey. We are told in Scripture that after Jesus rose from the dead, he gathers his disciples together on the Mount of Olives. And in that moment, the heavens opened and Jesus Christ was raised up into the heavens and he said, I am going to my Father's house. And I will be there by his side, interceding for you. But do not fear, I will return. In preparation for this journey, this man gathers together his servants. Each and every person who by faith and repentance has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and has invited him in to be the Lord and master of their lives, has become a servant in the household of Jesus Christ. And so these servants refer to us, his believers, his followers. As he gathers his servants around him, we are told that he begins to distribute his possessions. Jesus was an itinerant preacher. What in the world possessions does he have? Very simply, Scripture tells us that he's the Lord of creation. He's the one that spoke everything into being. It belongs to him, and he has made it accessible to his children, to his servants, so that we might use it to accomplish his will, his purpose in this world. Not only do we have creation, but we are told that Jesus possesses certain spiritual gifts. These are elements of his character, elements of his conduct that he gives portions to us so that we might live and act in this world in such a way that we can carry on his mission. And so he distributes also to us these spiritual gifts. Also, Jesus Christ, we are told that when he went into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father, the Father gave him the keys of the kingdom, meaning that he has the ability, the authority to gain access to all of the riches and resources of heaven. All of those powers that are above this world so that as we pray to him and he is interceding to, uh, for us, he can take those resources and use them to answer our prayers. Most importantly, the Bible tells us that the greatest possession that Jesus Christ has is the Holy Spirit himself. And he distributes the Holy Spirit to his servants so that they can be empowered 
to utilize creation, to utilize spiritual gifts to access themselves through Jesus Christ, the riches and the resources of heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is the foundation of all his other possessions. What does Jesus Christ have to distribute to his servants? Can you think of anything greater? Finally, as we look at this passage, this parable, it says that the day came for the master to return. And when he returned, he did so with one purpose in mind, to settle accounts. This is the whole focus of the entire parable. It is the one thing, the one truth that matters more than all of the others. There is a day when the master will come back. And in that day, we will all stand before him, all of us who are his servants, and he will ask us this one question. What do you have in return to offer to me for the investment of the possessions that I have given to you? This is the only thing that will be on the mind of the master at that time. How have you used my riches to increase the value of my kingdom here on earth? Well, if that's the main point, if that's the one thing that's on the mind and the heart of the master, it leads me to one question. What is it that the master values? It doesn't matter how I measure the return. It doesn't matter how I determine the return on my investment. What matters is, what does the master want? What is he looking for? What does he cherish? What does he value? And unless we know that, we will miss the whole point of the parable. Now, this is a popular passage with pastors. I don't imagine there's a one of us here who hasn't at one time in our lives heard a sermon on this passage. And typically, it is used to refer to a return on investment as God has given to us certain financial resources and he will measure how much of those financial resources we contribute back to the church for the work of the kingdom. And I think that can be a valid interpretation of the passage. However, I do not think it is the primary interpretation that Jesus Christ intended for us to get out of this. There is more here for us to understand. 
And if we are going to understand it, we need to understand it from the heart and the mind of God and Jesus Christ himself. Which means that we have to go to the Word to interpret the Word. So go with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Second Timothy chapter 4. Beginning in verse 6, Paul is writing, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is simply saying, I know my time is near. The master is coming back. And he will be calling me personally to settle accounts with him. Soon and very soon, I will be standing in front of him and I will be looking eyeball to eyeball with him. And Paul says, I'm ready. I am confident. I do not need to be afraid. He is going to be pleased with my ledger. He is going to find delight in what I have to offer him as a return on the investment of, of the possessions that he has given to me. Bring it on! Well, what's the source of his confidence? Need to turn to another passage. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Read one verse. Verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Don't miss it. Is it not you? Paul is writing to the Thessalonian believers. Paul is writing to those individuals who are part of the church that he founded and that he pastored. And who are believers because of his ministry. And he says that when I stand before Jesus Christ, the return that I will offer him is you. 
You are the ones that have been snatched from hell because of my ministry and my testimony. You are the ones who have been molded and transformed by the Holy Spirit through my shepherding. You are the ones that I personally discipled to go out and to invest in the lives of others and to transform your world in the name of Jesus Christ. And when I stand before Jesus Christ and he calls me to account, he's going to read out the names of every single one of you. So what's the message to us? As members of his household and servants in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, he has entrusted to each and every one of us his possessions. There is not a single one of us here tonight who can honestly stand up and say, I do not have a single talent. Every one of us has received something from Jesus Christ, something of Himself. Not only has he entrusted these talents to us, but he has also entrusted to us his most cherished and priceless possession. The eternal souls of other people. Every person that Jesus Christ brings under the influence of our lives is an opportunity for kingdom investment. Every family member, every coworker, Every friend, every fellow student and faculty member, even every coincidental interaction that just seems to happen surprisingly is an opportunity that Jesus Christ gives to each and every one of us to invest in that individual for kingdom purposes. And what Jesus Christ cares about more than anything else is that you and I are using these opportunities 
to make the greatest eternal impact on the greatest number of people. And that is what matters most. We do that, we achieve that, we accomplish that. First of all, by caring for these individuals and ministering to them in such a way that we become a living testimony to the glory and grace and presence and power of Jesus Christ in their lives so that they cannot deny the reality of that truth. We do it by leading them to a personal decision to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior so that they can become a servant in his household. We do it by modeling the nature, the character, the, the, the actions of Jesus Christ in such a way that the Holy Spirit uses our lives as a model of Jesus Christ by which to mold and to transform them into his image. We do it by discipling them <laughs> to take all of these riches that Jesus Christ now begins to pour into their lives and to invest those riches in the lives of others. going to ask you to use your imaginations just a minute. Let's transform this chapel. We're now standing, sitting in the middle of a mansion. The master has just come home from a long journey. You get a message. The master wants you in his den. You approach two large carved wooden doors. You slowly open one of them. <laughs> Creaks just a little bit. You walk in substantial room. This side. Wall full of bookshelves. Filled with old dusty volumes. Back here. few family pictures on the wall. 
glass case. Contains some thorns intertwined into a crude crown. A few blood-stained spikes. Large desk over here. Piled across the top, stacks of ledgers. You notice that uh, behind the desk, in a large armchair, sits Jesus Christ. Invites you in asks you to take a seat in a leather chair right across the desk from him. Reaches over, grabs one of the ledgers, opens it on his desk. Thumbs through some pages. Ah, yes. Here it is. Calls your name. Begins to read down the ledger line by line. The names of every person that he has brought into your life. Each family member, each neighbor, each coworker, each friend. Written beside each name. is a figure. That represents and records the return on investment that you have achieved in that person's life for eternity. And he asks, how is your investment portfolio? Now let me tell you this. Let me assure you of this. Jesus Christ wants each and every one of us to be ten talent investors. He does. 
He makes it possible for each and every one of us. All we need to do is to take the one talent that he gives us, invest it in someone's life. And through the work and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that one talent becomes two. We take the two talents, we reinvest it in the lives of others. Under the work of the Holy Spirit, it becomes five. We take the five, and it becomes ten. It is the will of Christ for each and every one of us. So as you sit with Jesus and you examine your ledger, how does it stand tonight? Can you say with Paul, hey, let's get at it. Let's do it. I'm excited. Or does the prospect of that become a little intimidating to you? That's why we're here. That's the whole reason for any of us being at Nazarene Bible College. Trust in the Lord and not, lean not on your own understanding. There is no better way to demonstrate your trust. than to invest your life in this way. So Jesus invites us. He challenges us. Will you come? Will you commit yourself to invest what I give you? We're going to close. And I'm going to invite you to respond to that question. By simply identifying one person in your life that you will choose to make a conscious, eternal investment in for Jesus Christ. As we sing, will you come? Jesus, we thank you that you have invested in us. We thank you for those, your servants, who brought us into the kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you will be with us. Help us to invest wisely. Work through us to increase every day the value of your kingdom as you touch the lives of others through our ministry. And may we look forward with confidence to that day when we stand before you and settle our accounts.
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.